Let's pray together. God, we, we are grateful for Your love and Your mercy and Your faithfulness. For we know that even though there may be seasons where we are faithless to You, You always steadily remain faithful to us and to Your promises to us. And so we rejoice in that. We thank You for it. And we pray that that would shape our living, inspiring us to follow faithfully day by day after Your leading way, we pray in Jesus' name together. Amen. Amen. Have you ever had a desire, uh, to an eagerness to engage in something or to do something, but with the uh, flow of time, that eagerness began to wane? Has that ever happened to you? About three of you? Has it happened to more of you than that? Okay, I'm glad I'm not alone. That makes me so happy. We would be going... It'd be a rough day uh, this morning, a rough sermon, if there weren't more than a couple of you who struggled with that at times. You know, sometimes we, we hear about a need or we see an opportunity and we get really eager to, to fill that need or to be part of a solution somehow, to make a change in this particular area of life, whatever it might be. But, you know, sometimes we can, we can get started and then we just kind of get tired. I know sometimes as a student, uh, I would start the semester off really well. And I would think, I'm going to have these new habits, and I'm going to study hard, and I'm going to do this with my time. And, but as the semester rolls on, I begin to kind of slow down, and then I limp along, and then finally, I just my enthusiasm kind of peters out. Sometimes we see that uh, our, uh, we might have a desire maybe at the new year to uh, create some new habits in our life, and we just get a little discouraged over time. It turns out to be a little harder than we anticipated, and uh, that goal a little bit more elusive than we hoped, and so out of discouragement, we just kind of give up and let it fall by the wayside. There are other times when maybe we, um, we get a little busy in the life, uh, the demands of life engulf us, and uh, we don't quite know what to do, and our original intentions that were good and sincere suddenly fade away and are soon forgotten. You know, there's a new word that's emerged in recent years. Uh, it's called compassion fatigue. Have you heard this term? It's uh, a term kind of in uh, modern vernacular about the, the high frequency of requests made for financial giving, uh, often heartfelt pleas to go and help with this particular need or this other particular issue, whether in the church or outside the church. It's, it's so ubiquitous out there that there's this new term for it that people get asked so frequently to participate that it's called compassion fatigue in the sense that people might want to help, but they just get paralyzed and discouraged and in, in overwhelmed because of the great needs that are in our world. Here's, here's what I want us to think about this morning, is that God wants to set us free from what I call wilting willingness. A wilting willingness. Aren't you glad every Sunday morning our team of flower preparers have nice, bright, vibrant, living flowers that almost seem excited to be here? Aren't you so glad that these are standing up tall and straight rather than limp and drooping over and sad? You know, when the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, he is talking to a church that was struggling with a wilting willingness. They had started out well. Their desire to engage themselves was very sincere. 
But yet they were struggling to follow through on their commitment and their participation in a particular need. What was happening, there was a particular severe trial and famine in the, the, affecting the church in Jerusalem. And so other churches in other regions of the world around the Mediterranean were taking up a collection to go and help supply the need of that particular church. And Paul is writing to them in Corinth now to say, you guys have started well. You had a great eager willingness to do it, but that willingness is beginning to droop. It's beginning to fade away and peter out over time. And he calls them to step forward and to fulfill the promises and the commitments that they have made. If you have your blue sheet, you might want to pull that out because I want to just kind of walk us through where we've come in these first two weeks and now today. We started with our concept of uh, generosity and being a steward of God, that God has given us certain things in our life, whether it's spiritual gifts or 24 hours in a day or a particular amount of, of money and resources and the ability to make wealth, whatever it might be. And God has asked each of us to consider how we manage that for the Lord's good and for uh, His glory. And uh, that's what stewardship basically is about. And, and if we learn how the idea of stewardship being lordship, in other words, if we are to be good stewards, it really the question comes to us as who is the most important person in my life and what really is driving and motivating my life forward? What, what is it at the core of who I am? that helps shape my thinking, that helps motivate my decisions, and prompts me to follow through. And the, if the answer is Jesus the Christ being at the core and center of your being, then your stewardship to the Lord is one of lordship. Jesus is my first priority. Therefore, I will honor Him with everything that I have. I will honor Him with all that I am. We started with the idea of uh, attitude before we, uh, we got into the idea of tangible things like we are today with money. We started with the concept of contentment. And we heard how the Apostle Paul wasn't just one day, even though he was called to faith on that one blinding journey on the road to Damascus, the idea of contentment didn't just somehow trickle down upon him in a fail swoop. It was something that he had learned how over time, in multiple seasons of his life, he had learned the great need of our life is contentment. Whether he had a lot, he said, or a little. Whether I've been in plenty or had want in any and every circumstance and situations, I have learned the secret of being content. In stewardship, if we are to understand stewardship fully, it really begins with an attitude of being settled in the Lord and before God so that my life's response is one that is dedicated to God. And then last week we looked at the example, the ultimate example of generosity, and that is Jesus. Not just giving portions or, or pieces of, of His life, but His whole life dedicated to His purpose and so you are invited to consider your life dedicated to the glory of God and following in the example of Jesus in the giving not just of a few dollars here and there, not just of a little bit of time here and there, but giving of your whole life. And you are challenged to think about and consider that. Today we, we turn to a more tangible uh, 
idea, and it is money. And I told the first uh, service uh, friends here that I, I don't have any, any qualms talking about money <laughs> because Jesus talked about money a whole lot. And Jesus knew that the way we use money or the way money uses us really confesses a lot about what is valuable to me, about where my priorities lie, about what I will do with my life. And so this morning, open your Bibles, if you have them, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to begin by reading the first seven verses, and then we'll uh, look at some other verses, both in chapter 8 and chapter 9. I don't think we're going to go anywhere else in the Bible today, but uh, hang loose. We'll see. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace God has given to the Macedonian churches. By way of reminder, the Macedonian churches, the, that was a region of the, of, uh, uh, around the Mediterranean. It would include churches like uh, in the city of Thessalonica and Philippi and Berea. And so there's a group of churches that Paul is offering as an example now to the church that met in the city of Corinth. He says, I, I want you to know what has happened and how God has given the, these churches a particular grace. In verse 2 he says, Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to begin also to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. We're going to pause there for just a moment. This idea of wilting willingness. About three items I want to highlight this morning. Number one is that the idea of giving and stewardship really begins and is more about your attitude toward God and your attitude toward that which has been entrusted to you than it is about amount. It's not to say that the amount of giving is unimportant. However, we start and focus most first and as priority about our attitude. And we see in what Paul talks about in the way he describes the Macedonian churches we see an unusual, at least to me, an unusual and unexpected recipe for generosity. And in reading it in the original language, you see there's, he's kind of having a little play on words. It's a bit of an alliteration. He, he begins several statements or several words with the same uh, sound letter. And he's trying to highlight the idea that out of this uh, overflowing joy on the one hand, blended together with their extreme poverty... If you were making this recipe, what would be the, the result? For the Macedonian churches, the result of overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up within them for rich generosity. He's really highlighting these extremes to give us a sense of what was happening. You see, these Christ followers in these churches are remembered and offered up as an example 
because of their open-hearted attitude to participate in this particular collection. In verse 3, Paul describes them as going beyond what was reasonable, right? Going beyond what was reasonable or expected. They did more than what was reasonable. The Apostle Paul was blown away at their willingness to engage themselves and to prove the earnestness of their commitment and involvement in this tangible way of literally putting their money where their mouth is. Right? You know that expression. Literally letting your life demonstrate, I don't just have a commitment to God. I don't talk about the importance of engaging my whole life in the church's ministry. I don't talk about, yeah, how good it is to give money to God through the church, but I actually do it. That's why these Macedonian churches are being offered up as as an example. Then Paul says that they did more than what we expected, that they they urgently pleaded with us that, uh, that they could participate in this. Now, that's usually the reversal. I mean, that's the reversal to what normally happens, right? A need happens, and those who are trying to help encourage people to give, usually it's pleading with those uh, to give, to give, to participate, to participate. But in this instance, these churches had reversed that to the glory of God, that they were urgently pleading that they might somehow share what little they had to involve themselves in the great work of God. You know, there's another Greek word that the Apostle Paul could have used to describe this idea of urgent pleading. And this other word would be translated into English something like this. Please, 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 let us have the joy and the privilege of involving ourselves with our money into this particular ministry, into this need. They gave themselves first to God and then to the community of belonging. And in verse 12, the Apostle Paul says, If the willingness is there, then the gift is acceptable. The willingness, if it is there, the gift is acceptable. Secondly, it's more more about attitude than amount, but it's also more about following through and not being overcome with a wilting willingness. It's not just about starting well or having a heart stirred one day and not being able to complete that which you sense God leading you to do. The thrust of these, these two chapters is not just about sentiment or uh, thinking to do good or having good intentions. It's about actually following through on promises given. It's, they had a willing desire. They're described in verse 10, these Corinthians, as the ones who first gave to the need with a desire to do so. They're described in verse 10 also as having an eager willingness. In chapter 9, verse 2, they're described as having this eagerness to participate, yet now the Apostle Paul is calling them to complete, to finish the work that they had started. Verse 11 of chapter 8, he says, Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. 
My encouragement as we are in this stewardship season is that we would follow through on the promptings that we have from God's Spirit. That you this week would follow through, you would pray eagerly, and we'll talk about that in a minute, about how God would have you engage your finances into the ministry of this church in the coming year. A third and final thought this morning is that this teaching about generosity is more about God's kingdom, the big picture of God's kingdom, and less about your and my specific world. However, my ability to engage in God's big kingdom starts with my tangible reality of my world right here, right now. I impact the kingdom of God by involving myself in the things that are right here in front of me. I have a package of seeds this morning. What if uh, I took this package, and let's say I had two packages, and I walked up to my friend Greg, and I said, Hey, Greg, here's a package of seeds for you today. Here's what I want you to do. Greg and I, let's say we live in the same area, the same neighborhood. Our uh, weather conditions are the same. Our soil is the same at our home. We're both uh, the same level of gardener. And I say, Greg, I want you to go and I want you to open that when you get home and I want you to plant all of those seeds. But what I'm going to do with my packet, I'm going to go home, I'm going to open it, and I'm just going to pull out a couple of seeds. And we're both going to sow them and we're both going to tend to the seeds. What's going to happen? Who's going to have the larger, more flourishing harvest? I think you will too. I think... I'm keeping these, thank you. (laughs) But that's exactly right. In chapter 9, the Bible talks about the idea of that. The one who sows generously will know the benefit of a generous reward. The one who engages himself or herself most fully in the kingdom's work, in being part of the body of Christ, in engaging in their finances and giving back their spiritual gifts, and offering their time to to be part of forging a community of faith that is significant and real. You see, when people do that, they are sowing for kingdom purposes, and they're sowing generously with their life. And guess what's going to happen? More often than not, they're going to reap a spiritual harvest, and they're going to be part of that, far greater than those who sow sparingly with their life. Those who sow sparingly with their life, those who, who... I struggle finding a way of committing themselves or involving themselves, even at the great invitation of the church, will sow and reap sparingly in their life. We are in a stewardship season in this church. What will God lead you to decide in your heart to give? Chapter 9, beginning in verse 6, it says, Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a grumpy giver. (laughs) What kind of giver does God love? A cheerful giver. A cheerful giver is the giver God loves. That's the heart He's looking for in you and in me. To be engaging of our lives, our financial lives too. That's not off limits. To say, God, everything I have is yours. My bank account is yours. My car and my house is yours. Everything I have has come from you and I offer it back to you. 
Next Sunday, we are part of our service is going to be set aside, as we have done for many years, I think, here. And you'll be invited to participate in worship in a, a different way than we usually do on a particular Sunday. And you'll be invited to bring back your stewardship cards. Uh, hopefully you receive that in the mail. And a big part of that is financial, but there are other aspects of that card that are just as important about knowing and learning how to manage your life and to be a steward of your whole life that God has given you back to the Lord. And so there will be a basket here at the front, and you'll have the opportunity here collectively with others to come and offer that card back to the Lord, not just to the church, but to God. Now, I want you to know that there are only a few sets of eyes that ever see that. I'm not one of those. In fact, I could honestly care less what any of you give. I'm not all that nosy, quite frankly. (laughs) But I don't want to know. But you know what? What's important is that you know that God knows. And it's important that this week, if up until now you've not given it much thought just yet, I want to invite you this week to get together, if you're married, to get together with your spouse and to pray together and talk about what your commitment should be this week. And I invite you not just to look at your budget, but to really engage God in prayer and say, in the coming year, God, what is it that you are leading me and my family financially to engage ourselves in as we come? For some, it might actually be less than what you were able to give this past year. That's between you and God. For others, God might call you to give more than you've ever given before. That's between you and God. Still others might be called even to give sacrificially. And that is before between you and God. I find it so wonderful when Jesus sat with His disciples and they sat right across at the temple area where the people were coming for their worship and they would put in their money at the designated spots. And some people came with really deep pockets and they gave a lot of money. But then this poor widow comes. A widow who has very little She has no social safety net around her. And she comes and she brings just a couple of pennies and she puts them in. And Jesus is watching all of this unfold. And he he says, this is such a wonderful teaching moment. He says, guys, tell me what you've seen here. And he goes on to tell them what they should have seen. He said, I want you to know that this woman, though she gave far less percentage, well, not percentage-wise, but in quantity than all the others, she gave some, a sweeter gift that's more pleasing to the Lord because out of her own poverty, she gave to the Lord so that she could be engaged in the Lord's work. How does a person able to do that? Well, partly it's because they understand that whether I have a lot or a little, I've learned the secret of being content because my contentment stands outside and beyond my circumstances at any given moment. Because contentment is wrapped up in your relationship with Jesus. And when we stand contented, that frees you up to be involved in God's work financially too, to the way, in the way that God would call you to involve yourself. It begins with contentment. And then if we continually keep ahead of us that picture of, well, what is it that Jesus has given to me? As your great example, I guarantee you that you can never, ever, 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 ever outgive what God has given for you and to you. And so it comes between you and God that this widow would be commended for the small amount that she gave because of the hard attitude by which she gave it. Here's your invitation, is that you would pray about how God would lead you to give. Some people ask me, well, 
Are there any parameters or guidelines? Yeah. I don't see them as rules, but there are some really helpful patterns in the Scripture. One is called the tithe. It's the idea of a 10%. Part of what I was trying to help the kids understand is, and what I would encourage you to do is when you make your annual budget, don't start first with your big expenses, your mortgage and your car payment, paying for your children's university and all of that. I would challenge you to start first as you're considering the first fruits, not just giving God leftovers, but giving God first. And look at your budget through the lens of, if I were to be a faithful tither to God, and I were to set aside the first 10% of my income first to the work of God's kingdom, and then set your budget around that. I promise you, it might be hard. It might be really stretching, and some of you might not even be able to do that. That's okay. I think what God would have you do is to give what He would call you to give and to trust Him in spite of it. Does that make sense? To trust Him in spite of it. It's not giving out of guilt. It's not giving because somebody's twisting your arm to do it. No, no. What kind of giver does God love? A cheerful giver. A cheerful giver is the one that God loves. He looks upon that gift with gratitude and delight. When you do so, you're putting God in the spotlight. Here's what, toward the end of chapter 9 and verse 12, here's how the Bible says, describes their gift. He says, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. It would be great to know that your generous giving to God would cause others to overflow in thanksgiving to God. Because they would see what a great, generous spirit God has sown into this body of believers. And He has. I know He has. Verse 13, it says, Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. So here's the thing. If you are faithfully giving as God has led you, then you will be cheerful. Please, 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 God, give me the opportunity to participate in your kingdom's work. If you give as God has called you to give, then you will be a cheerful giver. Charles Dickens had it right when he compared Ebenezer Scrooge with Bob Cratchit. Ebenezer Scrooge had everything he could ever want, and he stored it up in his safe, and he was the most delightful personality the world had ever seen, wasn't he? No. That's why Scrooge, the word Scrooge, has found its way into our English vocabulary. It's that miserly approach. It's the hoarder. It's the one who lives out of fear of scarcity, that if I do this with my money, then I'm not going to have enough. And so God, or Charles Dickens, maybe God too, compares Ebenezer Scrooge with Bob Cratchit. Ebenezer Scrooge had so much, Bob Cratchit had so little. Yet who was the cheerful, joyful person? It was Bob Cratchit. By the way, if you want to see the best version of the musical Scrooge, you need to go find, I think it's the 1972 version with the lead actor Albert Finney. My personal favorite, none others even hold a candle to it. So... This Christmas, you now have an assignment if you want to go watch that. 
If you're faithfully giving as God, has, uh, as God leads you, you will be cheerful. You will not be guilt-ridden. You will not give out of compulsion or uh, feeling like you are having your arm twisted. No, no. If you're giving as God, faith, uh, as God leads you, you will be cheerful. You will not be guilt-ridden. And you will not be giving and in the next moment wishing you'd had that money back. You give it, you release it into the Lord's hands so that He might do what He wants with it. We heard a story the staff did uh, at a conference last spring that I want to share back with you. A man named Jay Johns shared it. There's a man who uh, arrived at the airport tired after his flight. You know what that's like. You're tired after traveling. And he's got his bag in his hand, his overcoat over his forearm, and all he wants to do is get a cup of coffee and a little bit of food and to sit down and just relax. And so he gets his coffee and he gets a little bag of donuts and he scans the airport seating area and guess what? There's nowhere to sit. But then at the far side, he sees a table with two chairs and one man sitting in one chair and he says, that's my spot. He said, I'm going to go sit down opposite this other guy. And he does so. He sets his coffee down on the table and he gets his jacket and his bag there and, and he sits down Oof. and he's just, oh, finally, I've got my spot. I've got my coffee. He takes a sip of his coffee and then he grabs his bag, the bag of donuts and he... Takes a, uh, takes a donut out and eats it. And he sits there and he watches the man opposite him reach over, take his bag, pull a donut out of that bag, and begin to eat a donut. And he smiles at him, doesn't say a word, and he sits there and enjoys a donut. Well, this man can't believe what he's just watched. He wonders, I should say something. And he kind of gives him this look like, you know, this evil death stare. Don't you touch my donuts. But he's afraid maybe the guy, you know, is not real stable. And if he says something, maybe there would be this explosive event uh, there in the airport. So he just kind of stays quiet, says, okay. So uh, he takes another drink of his coffee and he picks up the bag of donuts and he takes a donut out for himself and he, he pushes the bag close to his cup of coffee to leave it there to communicate to the other man, this is my space, stay away. Well, guess what the other man does? He reaches all the way across the table, picks up the bag of donuts, pulls out a donut, smiles at the man, eats a donut. He can't believe what he's just seen. There is no way this is happening. Well, now the man kindly pushes the bag back toward him. Uh, the you announcement know, goes over the loudspeaker. He stands up, and the other man does, and uh, stands up, grabs his coat, uh, grabs his bag, and, and the man who came second, he's sitting there thinking, I'm so glad you're leaving, you big donut thief. Get out of here! And so, as the man gets his bags and gets his coat, he re reaches down, picks up the bag of donuts, and there's only one donut left. He breaks that donut in half, puts half in his mouth, sets the other half back in the bag, and pushes the donut back to the man. He smiles at him and waves and walks away. And the man says, I'm not eating that donut. <laughs> I'm not touching that. There's no way. No way I'm going to touch that donut. Well, his, his announcement comes on, and his next flight is, is boarding. And so he, he stands up, grabs a cup of coffee, turns around, puts his... Uh, Coat over his arm, bends down to grab his bag, and guess what he sees on top of his bag? His bag of donuts. You see, the other man wasn't stealing his donuts. He was actually sharing his donuts with the man sitting at the table. Here's your question today. Who owns all of your donuts? God owns all of your donuts, right? God entrusts you with a bag of donuts, and then He asks of you to live responsibly with those donuts. And part of that responsiveness 
is to dedicate that whole bag back to God. And part of the reflection of that is by engaging yourself financially in the work of God's ministry through the church. And so as you pray this week, that's your invitation, is to ask how God would lead you and your family to engage yourself for next Sunday. You hopefully still have your commitment card. If you don't, there are more on the way out. You can pick one up as you go. And again, that's a tool that our stewardship committee uses to prayerfully prepare a budget for the coming year. That's your invitation, to be generous in the things God has given to you. Father, that is our desire. We pray that even with our money, that we would be found faithful. We have been reminded today through song that you are always faithful to us. And may our lives learn the discipline and the good habit of cheerfully engaging ourselves in the financial work of your ministry and your church. Give us the grace that you gave the Macedonian churches. Encourage and stir our hearts like you did with the Corinthian believers so that we also might not just have good intentions, but that we might continue year after year, to build on a legacy of generosity. God, this church has been so generous in so many years, involved in so many ways with Your kingdom ministry. May that continue. May it not decrease or go into hibernation, but may it explode and expand and be even more so that Your missionaries around the world are cared for, so that your work here in Marin County is cared for, so that your work through this church is cared for, for your glory and for our good, God. Teach us the joy of being cheerfully engaged in the ministry and grace of financial giving. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray together. Amen.